What a blessing Dr. Tom Malone was last night to us. <clears throat> when you think of Dr. Malone, several things come to mind, many things come to mind. The first thing you think of is preacher. Tom Malone's a preacher. And uh, I like to hear him preach. He puts everything he has into it. If he has anything left, I don't know where it is. I mean, he puts it all into it. He's With every fiber of energy he's got, he just gets at it. The problem I have in hearing Tom Malone preach is when he finishes, I want to preach like he preaches when he gets through. <laughs> it's hard not to try to, try to mimic or copy uh, such a uh, powerful style of preaching. And I, I've heard him for years. I heard him first in Atlanta, Georgia, 1961 at the Sword of the Lord Conference I attended. He was one of the speakers that week, and he, he's, and he preached about deacons from Acts chapter 6. And when he finished, I was thinking to myself, have I ever seen a deacon? Do I ever know a deacon? And what he told me, I'd never met a deacon in my life. Not anybody matched it to what he preached about from the Bible. I thought I'd never seen one of them. But I was really impressed with him. And uh, what a great preacher he's been through the years. His sermons always well received in the sword of the Lord. He's author of many books. He very seldom talks about the books. If you do not have his book, The Sunday School Manual, people now looking for new ideas about Sunday school, get Tom Malone's book on The Sunday School Manual. You've got as, as good a material as you'll ever get. And few people even know it's in print. Big, thick book like that, published by the sword of the Lord. Any of his sermon books you can get, you ought to have them. Mountain Peaks of Christ, he mentioned last night. If you don't have it, you must have it. Sweet Psalms for the Saints, that's just uh, sermons on the Psalms. And uh, with Jesus after sinners, oh, what a, what a great uh, book of sermons that is. Soul-winning sermons, telling how Jesus went after sinners and won people to Christ. And any sermons you can get by Tom Malone, this new series coming out, Tom Malone preaches on Bible certainties. Tom Malone preaches on the church. Tom Malone preaches on the apostles. Make sure you get every one of those volumes coming out. He's a great preacher and a dear friend of the sword of the Lord has been through the years and, uh, and we love him very, very much and delighted to have him in this conference, Dr. Tom Malone. Thank you. Thank you. I wanted to share with you this morning a letter from a young man who has gone out to a place where he didn't know anyone and has built a great church. He's been there one year. Uh, this, this letter kind of represents what uh, many of you and a lot of us are interested in, and that is planting, starting new churches. Uh, young men from Midwestern Baptist College have started 45 churches in the five little New England states, and uh, some of them are great churches some of them the largest churches now in the area. But I met this young man. This, this young man was a free will Baptist. And he talked to me a number of times, and he talked to other preachers too, asked them to pray for him. I didn't have anything to do with this. I'm not taking any credit for it. I just want to share with you what can be done when there's someone uh, who wants to do it badly enough with the help of God what can be done. This young man went out to Seattle and uh, he's been there one year. And uh, on May the 19th, uh, this was his first year and uh, had the first anniversary. 
He had 367 uh, on that day, 31 saved, 12 baptized. And this is what I wanted you to, to hear. said, in our first year, we knocked on 38,000 doors, saw 265 people saved, 289 other decisions, 61 baptized, and two of our young men answered the call to preach. Hadn't started the bus ministry yet, but this just his first year, all these things have happened. I wanted you to, uh, I wanted just to share with you this wonderful letter from this young man. It shows it still can be done if uh, God calls young men to start churches. And that's, that's the way it's going to have to be done in a lot of places. A lot of churches are in the grip of the denomination in our cities. A lot of them have departed from the faith in some ways. And many places in America need someone to start a church. And it can be done. And I wanted to share what this one young man and their scores of others who've gone out and started churches and God is blessing them. But I wanted to share this with you. This young man was free will Baptist. I've, I've been thinking recently, I think kind of funny, kind of funny. I was kind of thinking, my, if he did that well as a free will Baptist, what he could have done if he'd have been an independent Baptist right from the start. He is now, but started out as a free will Baptist. Uh, see, I, I think kind of crazy, but I even like to share my crazy thoughts with you. I've enjoyed being here. I always enjoyed being with Dr. Hudson. Uh, I believe the hand of God is upon him and the work of the sword of the Lord. And I believe God is going to continue till Jesus comes to bless this great work of the sword of the Lord. And it's always a joy to be here in the, the sword of the Lord conferences. I, I've had a lot of, uh, a little bit of concern in my heart this morning about what to preach. I don't usually have that. Uh, I only have about three sermons and shouldn't be too much trouble to find out which one. It, it's got to be one of the three. I have about 2,000 titles, but I only have about three sermons. And I just keep moving those titles around over those three sermons. But strange it may seem, today I've had trouble uh, getting the mind of the Lord. I came out here fully to preach one, intending to preach one thing, and uh, I've changed my mind. I'm going to preach something else because I feel like I need it this morning, and maybe this is what God wants. I want us to turn in the 18th chapter of the book of Genesis. And I want to read a few chapter, a few verses. Sometimes I do read a few chapters because I always read till I get up courage enough to start preaching. And sometimes it takes a few chapters to do that. But I'll just read a few verses. Now you know the chapter. Uh, three men, three heavenly men, picture the triune God, the theophanies, as they're called, the appearance of God in visible form in the Old Testament. Three men appeared to Abraham. Three times they appeared, once in this 18th chapter. Here they appeared to announce the destruction of Sodom and to reconfirm a great covenant and great promise that God had made to Abraham. Let's just uh, start in, in verse 9, chapter 18 of the book of Genesis. 
and they, that's the three men, this, uh, this appearance of God, they said unto him, Where is Sarah thy wife? He said, Behold, in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return unto thee according to the time of life. And lo, Sarah thy wife shall have a son. And Sarah heard it in the tent door which was behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old and well stricken in age. And it ceased to be with Sarah after the manner of women. Therefore Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I am waxed old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord, that's Abraham, my Lord being old also. And the Lord said unto Abraham, Wherefore did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I of a surety bear a child which am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the time appointed, I'll return unto thee according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. Then Sarah denied, saying, I laugh not, for she was afraid. And he said, Nay, but thou didst laugh. And the men rose up from tents and looked toward Sodom and so forth. I want you to look at a question with me. By the way, there's some great questions raised in this 18th chapter uh, which need to be preached on. For instance, in this chapter, you find the question, will God destroy the righteous with the wicked? That's a great question. I thank God I know the answer to it. When the Lord comes and judgment comes, and the end of this world has come, God will not destroy the righteous. We're not only saved, but we're safe through it all. Uh, I find in this chapter the great question, shall not the judge of all the earth do right in verse 25? But I want to pose this question to you tonight, uh, this morning, out of the word of God. These men said to Abraham, talking about the coming uh, birth of Isaac is anything too hard for the Lord. You know, I have a question that you find in the Bible, you'll find the answer to it. This Bible has the answer to everything. In Jeremiah chapter 32 and verse 17, this question is answered. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Jeremiah 32, 17 answers that question. For that verse says, there is nothing too hard for the Lord. I like what the angel said uh, to Mary in Luke chapter 1. When the angel announced this young woman who had not known man would bring forth a man-child, the Lord Jesus Christ, in her body there would come the miracle of the enfleshment of the Son of God, the Incarnation. And the angel said to Mary, With God there is nothing impossible. With God there is nothing impossible. I believe we need to believe that today is anything, anything, anything you have on your heart this morning you want God to do for you. Any problem you face in your Christian life, any hard, difficult situation with some unsaved person you're trying to win to Christ there's nothing too hard for the Lord is anything too hard for God I find wherever I go 
There are a lot of people who are despondent. There are a lot of people discouraged. Ought not to be that way. I've been that way. I think I'm, try, I'm trying to learn uh, how to overcome that when you get despondent. And when you feel like you're down, when you feel like maybe God is not equal to this situation, start praising the Lord. Start thanking God. Start counting your blessings. You can't be down and praise God at the same time. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Now, a lot of good people have needed this. I mean, good people in the Bible, good men of God in the Bible came to the place where they had to believe there's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing too hard for God to do. You know, Elijah is my hero in the Bible. I like Elijah. Elijah, with the power of God, walked out of the, out of the mountains of Gilead, down across the Jordan River, appeared in the court of the wicked king Ahab, and announced it would not rain for three and a half years. And God made good his word. At the end of that drought, then Elijah gets on Mount Carmel and prays for God to send rain. And God sent rain, and God answered his prayer. Elijah one day prayed that God would send fire from heaven. Vindicate your cause. Send fire from heaven. And God sent fire from heaven. But one day I see Elijah where Christian, uh, in a place where Christians come to sometime. I see him under a juniper tree. I see him unsettled. I hear him say, Lord, it would be good to end my life. I've had enough. This is it. I'm sitting here under this juniper tree. I'm ready to die. I'm not fit. I'm no better than my fathers who died for the cause. And Elijah, this great and mighty man of God, had his faith challenged and needed God to minister to him and needed the Lord to show him there's nothing too great for God. I'd like to suggest to you five things this morning. I believe, first of all, there is no promise in this book, no promise in this book too hard for God to fulfill. You see, the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he not said, shall he not do it? Hath he not spoken, and shall he not make it good? You see, this is saying what God has promised to do. God will make good that promise. There's no promise in this Bible. You need promises. You need to live on them. You need to have one in your heart and mind this very moment, something you're hanging on to, that God said, God said, I'll do this. I remember when I was saved, 12th day of August, 1935, I had another wonderful thing happen to me uh, at the very same time. The Lord called me to preach while I was kneeling at that old-fashioned mourner's bench and getting my heart right with God and getting saved. The Lord called me to preach. When uh, they asked me to stand and tell what happened to me, I said, the Lord saved me today, that I know. But also the Lord today called me to preach. A young man 
was there and heard that testimony, said, you ought to go to school. You need training. He said, I'm a senior up here at a little school up in Cleveland, Tennessee, it was then. Bob Jones College said, if God's called you to preach, you ought to go up to Bob Jones College. I said, I'm a country boy. I have no money. I, I have no support. Uh, no, no one is able to send me in, in my family. And that young man said to me, have you ever thought about trying the promises of God? I said, yes, I, I'm going to try the promises of God. I found Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And I hung on to that promise. Oh, listen, I wish I had time this morning to tell you how God made good his word. I went up into North Carolina holding revivals. An old country boy came to me one day when I was getting ready to leave one of those North Carolina towns. And he said, you know, I don't know what to give you. I don't have much to give you. But I said, I'm going to give you a pig. And I said, well, I don't know how I'll take it home on the Greyhound bus. I've got to ride the bus back to uh, North Alabama. I said, that's all right. I'm going to give you the pig. I'm going to raise the pig for you. I'm going to take care of it for you. Well, I remember that year down at Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee. I came to the place. I was very popular on the campus. They called my name frequently. The only thing about it was the fellow was called my name who was the treasurer of the college. And he sent for me often. I was very popular with him. And he told me, he said, Tom, you, you've got to either have money or go home. So I got a, a letter in the mail. And the fellow said, a soldier pig. And there was a money order in it. And so help me this morning for just exactly the amount that I needed to pay. What I'm saying unto you this morning, there is no promise in the Bible too hard for God to answer. Oh, get a hold of a promise from the Word of God. And not only get a hold of a promise from the Word of God, but say, this is for me. And God will make it real in your life. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Uh, going with that pig story, the second semester came. I thought, well, the pig's gone. He said, I sold the pig. So it's going to have to be something else now. But I was praying and claiming that promise. My God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Got another letter from this fellow. Said, this time I really sold the pig. He said, the first time I sold it theoretically. Only he didn't say theoretically because he couldn't have spelled it and I wouldn't have recognized it. <laughs> but he said, I said, he said, I sold a ham to some person and um, shoulders to others. And you know the other part with the buttons on it that sold all of that? And he said, people gave me money because they wanted to help me. But said, this time, I really sold the pig. And here's another money order. I'm saying to you today, 
because the promises of God are true. I went through school one year on the back of a little old North Carolina pig because there's a God in heaven that says there's no promise I ever made that I will not bring to pass. No promise too hard for God. A young man in, in our, in our graduating our school, in fact, in the first graduating class, took a little church down in Birmingham, Alabama, where I'd been getting some, uh, Birmingham, Michigan, where I'd been getting some people together one night a week, and, and the thing about starting a church, this young man started, he'd been there, I think, uh, over 30 years now. They rented a, a church that the Nazarene people had had, and they'd gone elsewhere. And this young man, godly young man, Dr. Charles Whitfield, had uh, was doing a great work. People were being saved, and God was blessing that wonderful work. But it had no building. He was reading the book of Joshua one, one day, and it said to, God said to Joshua, wherever the soul, the soul of your foot shall touch, I will give it thee. I'll give it to you. That young man said, that's what I need. You see, he, he didn't know what some theologians, theologians think they know, that the Old Testament is not for us. You can forget that. I, I, it may not all be written for us, but I have Bible proof uh, to us. But every, every promise in this book is for me. Whatsoever things are written aforetime are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the earth has come. Don't, don't give me this old stuff. You want to take the Old Testament or promises away from me. Don't, don't give me that. You see, a lot of things start in the Old Testament. I don't want to give up. Breathing started in the Old Testament. So help me God. I don't want to give that up. I'm going to hold on. If it's in the Bible, I'm not Israel. And God, God may not have said it directly to me, but it is for me. Every bit of this Bible is for me. And that young fellow, he, he didn't know any better. He just one, one morning about 2 o'clock in the morning, he took off his shoes and socks, rolled up his trousers, and went out and stepped around the perimeter of that, of that property. He lifted up his believing heart to God and said, Lord, you said, wherever the sole of my foot shall touch, you will give it me. And um, the Lord gave it to him. And for over 30 years, because somebody believed, the promises of God are true, and in Him are yea and amen. amen. For 30 plus years, He's been in that spot telling out the story and seeing people saved. Oh, let me tell you, I'm preaching to some Christian this morning who needs a promise fulfilled in your life. And let me say to you, there is no promise in the Word of God too hard for the Lord to fulfill. You know, I believe there's no prayer, no prayer, no prayer that God cannot answer. I believe God has promised to answer prayer. Call upon me and I will answer thee. Show thee great and mighty things 
which thou knowest not of. I like that verse. I don't know whether I'm right or not, but that verse says, call on me, upon me, and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. I know what that means, great and mighty things, but notice, which thou knowest not of. I believe God is saying, I'll show you something you've never seen before. I'll help you to do something you've never done before. I'll answer prayer that you've never had answered before. I'll show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not of. I think of the verse when Jesus said, If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'll say unto this mountain, Be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be cast into the sea, it shall be done. You know, a lot of people ask me about that verse the first quite a few years of my ministry. I'd had folks say, now, listen, preacher, you believe the Lord will really move a mountain? And you know, I didn't want to deny the Bible. I swallowed a time or two and coughed a little bit, hoping they wouldn't understand exactly what I was saying. But I said, yes, I believe. Whatever God says is so. If God said he'd move a mountain, God will move a mountain. And one day I had to have, I'm talking about a, a literal hill or a mountain 30 some odd feet on the property where Midwestern Baptist College is. I wanted it off of there because we didn't need it there. And um, I began to pray, Lord, help us to get rid of this hill. So men came one day and said, we want to buy that hill. And they came and hauled it away and paid us for it. And for all these years, I've been wishing someone would come along and say to me again, Preacher, what do you think about that verse? If you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and it shall be done. I'd like to answer it now, but no one asks me now. Now that I know the answer and have had the experience, nobody's ever suggested to me. What I'm saying to you this morning, some of you here today have unanswered prayer. In fact, I think it'd be safe to say everybody in this audience, everyone on this platform has unanswered prayer. I don't care how many have been answered for you. I believe every good Christian carries enough on his heart and his soul till he's always asking God to do something, always praying without ceasing, claiming the promises of God and believing that God will answer prayer. Oh, I tell you, we need to get back like the men of the Bible. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. We need to get in the secret place. I want to say to you, your life behind the door, your life alone with God, your life praying to God, your heavenly Father, is far more important than your life out on the front of this platform or in the choir or in the Sunday school department. I say to you today, God is a prayer answering God. I'm preaching to somebody today needs an answer to prayer. It may, need, it may mean the salvation of a loved one, the healing of an illness, the solution to a problem, the removal of some thorn. I say to you, God 
God in heaven is able to do for you today whatever needs to be done. For God is able to answer prayer. I'll tell you a little story. You may not believe it. True, anyhow, I believe it. And so that's, that's really all that matters to me. I hope you believe it. So I've been married for 52 years. That's not the part. It's hard to believe. I've been married to the same wonderful, sweet Christian lady for 52 years. We're going on 53 years of marriage. We were talking a few days ago. We decided we'd been married 52 years. We're just going to go ahead and stick it out as long as the Lord lets us live. I tell you, no, I, I, let me say this to you. There's nothing in the world like a good, godly wife, a prayer partner. This very moment, my wife is on her knees praying for this service and for me. Nothing like that. Been married 52 years. Uh, quite a few years ago, my wife said, you know, our old stove, cook stove in the kitchen, worn out and the refrigerator's worn out. We need to get a new stove, a new refrigerator. Couldn't afford it really, but I said, well, let's go pick one out. We went and my wife picked out one of the prettiest sets you ever saw in your life. It was a pink stove and a pink refrigerator. Beautiful enamel. My, my wife loved that stove and refrigerator. She kept it shined all the time. You could use it for a mirror almost. She, she, she's the cleanest woman I've ever seen. She goes around the house looking for dirt. I wish I could hate sin like my wife hates dirt. I've seen her go around the house looking for something crooked that she could straighten up. She couldn't find anything. She'd make it crooked and then straighten it up like that. One day that refrigerator, that beautiful pink refrigerator, 10 years old, stopped working. Said, we're going to have to, we're going to, have to get it fixed. I called for the technician. Man came in, set down his toolbox, used some testing tools, and just put them back in the box and closed up the box and said to me, this refrigerator's done. I said, now, sir, if you could put a new motor in it or whatever it needs, that's what I want, just fix it. See, I had something in mind. I knew if that pink refrigerator had to go, the stove would have to go. And there had to be another refrigerator and stove. Man, I said to the man, please, uh, won't you test it one more time? He said, no, no hope for this refrigerator. It's done. It's had it. He grabbed up his toolbox, walked out. I said to my wife, honey, the refrigerator's dead. And the man wasn't even nice about it. <laughs> I was in there one day, and uh, you wouldn't do this. I know you wouldn't. Uh, you, you, you're too proper, and you, you wouldn't do this. But I'd heard all these evangelists bragging on TV about healing people and all that business. Now, I tell you the truth, I lie not. I put my arm around that refrigerator and I looked to see if there's anybody looking anywhere. And I said, Lord, we need a healing here. I, I can't buy another stove and refrigerator. And I love Joyce, and I don't want to displease her if I can help it, but I can't do it. 
I said, oh Lord, heal this refrigerator. I lift my hands and heart to God. It ran for 10 more years. And when I hear these folks talking about, when I hear these folks talking about healing somebody and all that sort of thing, I think, oh yeah, heal a refrigerator, then I believe in you. What I'm saying to you, and I say it with the joy of the Lord in my heart, God knows our needs, and He's a miracle-working God, and God answers prayer. God knows the longing in your heart this morning that you've cried out to God many a time. God will not fail. Keep on praying, for the answer will come, because God honors His Word, and He's promised to answer prayer. You know, I, I believe that no problem too hard for God to solve. Now some of you facing this morning, all of us face problems from time to time. Some feel like, some of us feel like they have no, no solution, no answer, no problem. Oh, if you believe that this morning, the problem you came in these doors with, God has the answer. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You know, that's a wonderful thing to know, that God has the answer to any problem in your life. I, I like those four men brought the paralytic to Jesus. They had a problem. Why, the folks filled up the door, they couldn't get in the house. One old boy in that group must have believed there's got to be a way. They climbed up on the stairs and tore up the roof. And I'd like to have been there when Jesus looked down and saw those four faces and said to the man, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. I want to tell you, a lot of folks would have quit. A lot of folks would have said, God can't solve this problem. There are too many people in the way. Don't ever believe that. That's the devil talking to you. No problem. No problem too hard for God to solve. Amen. I know people that are absolute, flat out defeated by some church problem. I know people who are flat out defeated by some home problem. I know people who are flat out defeated because of some financial problem. God has the answer. I'll tell you, if you draw close to God and search your heart, and be absolutely right with him, I guarantee you, God will solve your problem. I believe there's no place too hard for God to revive. I heard a man, highly educated man, I heard him, I've heard him say more than once, well known across America, I've heard him say more than once, there will not be any revival, any more revivals in this age. I don't believe that. I, I believe we can have a revival any time we meet God's conditions. I don't believe the days of revival are over. I believe God wants to give revival where people meet the condition. If my people were to call by my name, humble themselves. Who in the world wants to do that? If my people call by my name, humble themselves, 
turn from their wicked ways. Seek my face and pray. Then will I hear from heaven and forgive their land. Same theologian said that verse has nothing to do with revival. Sounds good enough for me. I know a few times it's got the windows of heaven unlocked. It'll work. I, I believe God can send a revival. Oh, Dr. B.R. Lakin said to me one time, Dr. Lakin was an evangelist, had him at our church 30 times during his ministry. He said to me one time, Tom, if you ever called to hold a meeting in Wooster, Ohio, don't go. I said, well, I haven't been asked yet, and so I'm not going to worry about it. He said, it's the graveyard of evangelism. He said, I've been there several times. I've never been able to have a revival. Wooster, Ohio said, if anybody ever asks you, don't go. Sitting in my office one day, phone rang, and a man, preacher on the other end of the phone, says, Brother Tom, this is Charles Crabtree. I'm the pastor of the Baptist Temple in Wooster, Ohio, many years ago. I said, oh, Lord, don't let him say what I think he's about to say. He said, I, I'd like for you to come to our church for a revival. He said, I want a revival. I want a revival more than anything in the world. He said, I'd give my life for revival. I said to him, when you want me. I went to Booster, Ohio. It was a great experience in my life. Monday afternoon, that preacher met me at the little motel, helped me get my things out of the car, five o'clock in the afternoon. Services started that night, Monday afternoon. And we got in a little motel room many, many years ago. And there's two straight back chairs in that little old room. This preacher looked at me and said, I'll, I'll be back to pick you up at seven o'clock. But before we go, could we pray? He got down by one of those straight back chairs, and I got down by another, and that preacher began to pray, and he said, Oh, God, I want a revival. Then he said to God, and I believe it came from the depths of his heart, he said, I'd give my life for revival. When he got up from that chair, he left literally a puddle of tears on the little tile floor in that little motel room. Why, when I listened him pray, cry out his heart to God, I, I felt like I maybe not even ought to pray, but I did. He came back at 7 o'clock. He came in, he said, before we leave, could we pray? Got down on his knees by that chair, and he said to God, Oh, Lord, I want a revival. I want it in my life. I want it in my church. I'd give my, give my life for revival. We went to service that night, picked me up at 9 o'clock the next morning, drove the roads and the streets all day long. No, not even stopped for lunch till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, back in that little motel room, down on our knees. I heard that preacher say, Oh, God, I'd give my life for revival. I wish I had time to tell you some details, but I don't. A young man came to me about Friday night holding a Bible like this. I later found he's 18 years old. He came to Midwestern Baptist College, graduated, has been a wonderful pastor ever since, and son's gone into the ministry. 
He, he came to me in that church and he said, my father's 54 years old and my daddy's a drunkard and he's lost. And he said to me, Do you, would you pray with me God would save my daddy? And he said to me, if God would save my daddy in this meeting, he said, I believe it would be the greatest experience of my Christian life. If I could see my daddy say, would you pray? I said, yes, I'd pray. Sunday morning came and the preacher said, I'm going to have all the adults at 10 o'clock. Children will be elsewhere. Little auditorium seated about 450, 500 people. There wasn't, an, there wasn't but one empty seat, two empty seats in the whole auditorium uh, when it came time to start. They're right down here on the second row on the aisle. And the young man sat there holding his Bible. Every once in a while he'd look back. In a little while the ushers brought a man and woman in and looked down and saw the young man and brought them and seated them by him. It was his mother and his father. Preacher said to me, now, now Brother Tom, I hate to tell you, but he said at 11 o'clock we go on the radio when we start the other service and we'll have to be all through and all done with this service before the other service starts because we go on the radio. I said, all right, I'll, I'll be through. I came the invitation. We'd been calling and praying. I'd heard that preacher say over and over again, oh God, I want a revival in my church. I'd give my life for revival. And I gave the invitation that morning, all adults. And I saw this young man. I couldn't quite hear what he was saying, but I saw him turn to his dad. And I know what he was saying. He was saying, Dad, I want you to be saved. I want you to come. I saw his dad look at him smile. He was not obstinate with him. He was kind to his son, but he smiled and he said, shook his head. No, I don't want him. Not now. I saw the young man draw closer to him, put his arms around him, and he wept, wept over his dad, said, Dad, I want you to be saved. I saw the father smile again, shake his head. Then I saw a young man do something I've never seen anyone do before. I saw him get right down on his, on his knees and in the middle aisle and put his arms around his daddy's limbs and look up in his face and say, Oh, Daddy, I want you to be saved. Won't you come? I saw that big man reach and get his hands under the arms of his boy and they came stumbling and weeping and falling at the altar. And when that happened, God opened the windows of heaven. Sixty-three other men and women came and filled that, that church auditorium three and four deep all the way across men and women coming to be saved. I never will forget how the preacher went on the radio. It were, people were being led to Christ and every Christian there was trying to help and it was, it was glorious pandemonium is what it was. And the preacher went by the mic and said, we don't have time to go on the radio now. And folks everywhere being Oh, I, I'd like to see revivals that break up the program. Ignore the, the radio program. And God, God can send revival. There's no place God can't revive. 
Many a preacher said, I'm going to leave this place. God can't do anything here when God was not in the leaving. God can give a revival in a preacher's heart and in a church. And God can show visibly that he's with you and give you revival. Nothing too hard for God. I wish I had time to close by saying there's no person too hard for God to save. God can save anybody. I've met some people in my life. I was almost tempted to say no hope for them. But there's no person in the world breathing that God can't save. You know, we need some people who say, I'm going to go to the throne of God and I'm going to pray that God will speak to that heart and I'm going to live my life before them until I see that person saved. I saw Gene Kelly, an ex-Marine, most profane man I ever knew in my life. I saw Gene Kelly saved because people prayed. I gave his name to the men's prayer meeting in our church every Sunday afternoon, 5 o'clock in the upper room. I heard Gene Kelly's name time and time and time again. I couldn't even talk to him for weeks. Kept trying, kept trying. Finally got a little bit acquainted, able to talk to him. One day the phone rang. And a man said, is Tom Malone there? They said, no, he's out of town preaching, but there's another preacher here, and that was Dr. Fortner, who's in this audience this morning. He said, I want to talk to a preacher. My name's Gene Kelly. I just found out I have cancer. I have three months to live. I want to be saved. Dr. Fortner went to his home, led him to Christ. One of the most profane men I've ever known in my life. I want to tell you there's no person. God can save your loved one. God can save your neighbor. There's no one too hard for God. Let's pray. Father in heaven.